0: So, so today, I thought um, we might take a look at a theme in Christmas that is sometimes overlooked. Um, justice for Christmas. And uh, when you think about that, you think to yourself, eh, really? <laughs> um, and I think a lot of the time we don't, um, we don't think about Christmas and the aspect of justice as being something that can come together um and so it in some way also um blindsides us perhaps when we think about something um as as dynamic as those two things coming together um in a part of jewish worship called the haftarah um, where a congregation member would read from the torah um, and then along with that read a short prophetic message um, that fit that particular reading of the Torah, Jesus got up and he read these words. Um, and this, this is how it happened. And it says, and the scroll, and this is Luke chapter 4, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So those were the words that Jesus read in that synagogue in Nazareth, about 30 years after his birth, when he effectively announced the, the beginning, the start of, of his ministry. And Jesus identified himself as the servant of the Lord, as prophesied by Isaiah. And this servant of the Lord, in the way that Isaiah described this character who would come, was someone who would bring justice to the world. And we read those words that Isaiah spoke, we read them in Isaiah chapter 61. Now saying those words, Jesus confirmed that he was the one that was prophesied of 700 years before him. And now most of us know that um, Jesus was born into the world to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness and grace. But less well known, I think, is the biblical teaching that a true experience of the grace of Jesus Christ inevitably becomes something that motivates a man, that motivates a woman to seek justice in the world. When he bestows his grace upon you, the outworking, the overflowing of that leads you to pursue justice for everyone and for all of creation. And so as part of us moving into and becoming mindful again of the birth of this Messiah, um, we want to consider the question, what role, if any, does justice play in the Christmas story? And so we're going to be looking at an Old Testament prophecy that starts to introduce this idea of a Savior being born into a world that desperately needed hope. The world needed hope when this prophecy was spoken, um, and the world needs hope today. Um, I was reading earlier on in the week Um, just about the situation in the world. I'm trying to keep up with what's happening right now. There's so many conflicts going on. Now, besides the war in the Middle East and the Ukraine, there are many other conflict situations in varying degrees of severity ongoing in the world right now. The colored part of of the, the map there are currently... Um, countries that are actively engaged in some form of armed conflict. Situations that range from civil war, drug wars, all the way down to full-blown hostile combat warfare. And interesting to note that 20 of those conflict situations are on our African continent alone. Despite all of this, God has been and is at work, and he has been and is at work speaking to us through his word, through the scriptures, through the prophets of old, with the incarnation of his Son amongst us, by the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit, all the time communicating to us the need for repentance and for relationship with him. Um, But while he has been telling us to repent, he has also been encouraging us with a message of hope. It has not been all judgment. There is a line of hope that runs through what he says, and it's always been a call to repent that he balances with a message of hope. The good news of the Gospels talk about the one God of the Old Testament coming to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as believers, we understand that the Old Testament, those scriptures, they don't stand on their own, and there's this hard line between, like it is in your Bibles, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the Old Testament is also a collection of writings that prepares the way for the coming of the Messiah and the new people of God. And then for Jesus, the promise of the Old Testament was realized in his ministry. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The New Testament is bound to the Old Testament, and the claim of Christianity is that all of the revelation of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and that the God who made himself known in the Old Testament has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' birth, what we call today Christmas, is in fact the start of another chapter in God's redemption plan of making all things new. And so today, as we start to prepare our hearts for Christmas, we will be looking at what the prophet Micah prophesied about the birth of the Messiah 2,000 years ago and what it means for us, what it could mean for us today. And so I hope that as we take a few minutes just to try to look through the eyes of Micah, that we see the connection that exists between Christmas and justice. So we're going to read a few verses from Micah chapter 5, very well-known verses. You will recognize them, no doubt, and probably read them in the few weeks that come ahead. This is what he says. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over israel whose origins are from of old from ancient times therefore israel will be abandoned until the time when she is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the israelites he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Those were words that were spoken by the prophet Micah about 2,750 years ago, and they were about 720 years before Jesus was born. So that's a bold, bold prophecy to speak so many generations in advance. Now this prophet Micah, he lived in a little town called Moresheth, which is about 35 kilometers southwest of Jerusalem in what was a farming community. And so he was a prophet who ministered and came from amongst farming people. This is a site which is believed to be where that old town Moresheth was located, somewhere up on that hill there. And this would have been an area where farming would have taken place. Now, though not much is known about Micah or his personal life, um, we do know that he is recorded as being someone who was a great defender of the poor, um, which actually earned him a nickname in the poor people's prophet. That's what he was called. Micah was a prophet who lived at the same time as the prophets Isaiah, um, Amos, and Hosea, and he actually shares some of the prophecies made by those other prophets, and there's one in particular that he shares with Isaiah almost word for word. Now, Micah lived during the reign of this king, um, King Jotham of Judah, and Um, succeeding kings as well and about 150 years before Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians that's when Micah um, was alive and ministering. Now during this time when Micah was around um, the promised land was divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom that was called Israel that's the green bit and there was the southern kingdom, which is that burnt orange there, which was called Judah, and Moresheth was there. You can see Jerusalem over there, and so that is where um, Moresheth, right kind of in close to the Gaza Strip, where that is now. Now, as often um, before Micah and after him, the people Of both the southern and the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, um, the southern kingdom called Judah, where Moresheth was, Um, the people in those kingdoms had abandoned the ways of Yahweh. Jerusalem and Samaria, they were the capitals of the two Jewish, um, Jewish kingdoms, they had actually become centers of idol worship and immoral living, and what caused that was, we believe, a time of prosperity, a season of prosperity that had led um, to the hardening of the hearts of the wealthy people in those places. And so what happened was they actually began to oppress the poor to the extent that they even denied justice in the courts to the poor people. And it goes without saying that they even turned their backs on the laws of the Torah. And so as the call to minister with the prophecies of God rested on Micah, he came out to denounce the evils that were going on in his, um, in his nation that filled his country. Now, as we think about the prophecies of Micah, as you read through the book of Micah, it's not a long book. It'll probably take you 40 minutes to read. You'll notice that Micah's prophecies can be divided into two components. The one component was judgment, um, but this judgment was always balanced out with hope, hope being this other component. And so like Isaiah, the great prophet who lived around the same time as Micah, Micah admonished his people to return back to the ways of Yahweh. And he was especially bitter about the ruling class, the wealthy people who used their positions of power to enrich themselves at the expense of the poor. And these are some of the words that Micah said um, to and about these people. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, he said, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them, and houses, and take them. They defraud people of their homes. Mm -hmm. They rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people, from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. And there are others there. Let me read from um, chapter 6, the last few, where it says, Shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Your rich people are violent, your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. Now those are just some of the verses that Micah uses to describe the hearts of his fellow countrymen. And he especially describes the hearts of the leaders, the the decision makers in his nation. He, He calls them those who make crooked all that is straight. And he's got harsh words for the judges that can be bribed. Sounds familiar? Priests that could be hired to give you a nice prophetic word. People who said to themselves, evil cannot befall us. And Micah says, if they continued in their evil way, and this is the judgment, Zion shall be plowed up like a field, uses this agrarian, this farming language to describe what would happen to Jerusalem if they did not turn from their evil ways. And so as you, as you would read through the book of Micah, you would notice that he kind of enters into this argument with his people. He pleads with them on God's behalf in this back and forth, reminding the people of God about God's great deeds for them, but they repeatedly reject them. He says it like this in chapter 6, and he speaks here um, as Yahweh's mouthpiece. He says, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And then if you continue reading past that, we encounter those three verses that describe simply what God expected of his people. And he says there, He has told you, O man, what is good and what God requires of you, only to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So this is what's happening in this prophet's context this is what's going on around him. And he speaks his prophecies, you'll notice, um, in three cycles or in three oracles. And each cycle begins with a caution or a warning to listen. Um, and within each forewarning, he moves from this command to listen to judgment. And then he ends it always with hope. Judgment because they've broken God's law And hope because of God's unchanging covenant, not only with their forefathers, but this that has been passed on to them as well. And so it is at the end of the second cycle in all of the book of Micah that Micah delivers the prophecy that relates to Christmas. That was our opening text that we read there. And he started out by being very specific in those words by mentioning Bethlehem. He said there, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. We've come to understand that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And Matthew, using those prophetic words from the Old Testament there in Micah, he records it in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 6 there. And those verses, I promise you, you're going to read in the next few weeks. But Matthew gets his understanding of that in verse 6 from the prophet Micah, from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Now, Bethlehem is distinguished there in the way that he describes it as Ephratah in this land of Judah in the southern kingdom. And Micah mentions the detail by using this name Ephratah, because there was actually another town named Bethlehem in Galilee. Um, And so Micah was being very specific in pointing to, so that there would be no confusion where this particular town would be, kind of like giving GPS coordinates. Um, It also happens to be the town where David was from. If you think back to our short study on the life of David, David was also from this particular place called Bethlehem of Ephratah. The name Bethlehem, as some of us would know, means house of bread. Now, the area of Bethlehem was a grain-producing region in the Old Testament times. And Bethlehem was this farming town that actually supplied Jerusalem with all of the grain for making their bread. And the name Ephratah actually means fruitful. Um, Also in this town, Ephratah, were vineyards. Um, as well as olive orchards, as well as, of course, those particular grain fields. And so this town was a town that was known for being a very fertile, fruitful place. But there was also something else that Bethlehem was known for during that time. As it was an agricultural town, they also farmed with sheep. And so there were many shepherds farming sheep in and around Bethlehem. But these sheep weren't supplied for their meat or for their wool or for their leather. These sheep were not being raised for that. These sheep were being supplied as lambs for sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem. Actually, many thousands of lambs. And so it would be that from this place, Bethlehem, that the ultimate Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, would be born and be offered as a sacrifice for our sins. And so Micah says here that it would be from this little town of Bethlehem that the king who is not only from David's line but a divine king would come, a humble place of working class people, if you remember what we spoke about last week, a place that wasn't even mentioned when Joshua divided up the promised land for the different tribes. Rather than from Jerusalem, which was the capital city with its royal palace, um, The king who would bring justice would come from this small town, Bethlehem, kind of like a town like Kylemore or Beaufort West or Malmesbury. Who goes to Malmesbury for a holiday? It's that kind of town where you just stop for petrol and you keep going. Bethlehem was this unknown place where nothing particular or special came from. Yet Micah prophesied that it would be from this place, from this little village where the Messiah would be born. God chose and continues to use the simple things that are often overlooked in favor of grandeur and status. Micah says when this king comes, Justice and security will return to Israel. Peace would reign again when the Prince of Peace arrived. Whereas the old shepherds had stolen from the flock, as Micah words it there in chapter 3, verses 1 this ruler who would come would now feed the flock. This is the kind of justice he's describing. The hopes of peace that Micah talks about in chapter 4 would now be realized because the Prince of Peace would come and restore peace to their nation. This is the kind of justice that Micah is talking about. And so what can we learn from Micah that we take into this Christmas season? As we think about the time and the state of the nation um, in which Micah lived, what similarities can we notice between the time when Micah lived and spoke this prophecy about this king, this savior who would be born, and our time today? And Micah identified a list of sinful actions in his nation. He identified idolatry. He identified seizure of property from the rich, by the rich, from the poor. He identified a failure of civil leadership. So the people who were in government were corrupt. He identified a failure of religious and prophetic leadership. In Micah's time there was people offering sacrifices without being truly repentant. He identified corrupt business practices and violence. Now as we look at this list and we consider our own nation, do you see any similarities there? Kirk says not so much (laughs) it seems that not a whole lot seems to have changed from Micah's time to our time idolatry land seizure failure of leadership leadership being corrupt issues within the church um, a dishonest worship Um, And then corrupt business practices and, of course, violence. It doesn't seem like a whole lot has changed since then. And so it seems then that we are in as much need of justice and hope as the people in the days of Micah were. We need it now as much as it was needed back then. But it's a bit different for us, though, because we are on the other side of Micah's prophetic words. We are on the other side of Jesus' birth. So how then do we respond to the fact that the Messiah that Micah prophesied about has already come? That he was already born in Bethlehem at a time when people were in need of hope and justice. So what do we do now? What do we do with that? What do we do with the idea that justice and Christmas actually have very close ties? And how do we respond as believers, identifying the fact that some of the things that Micah points out are some of the things that we are pointing out. And the needs that we have, Or the needs that they had back then. I think our response should be to continue in the command that God gave to Micah. And it's this, we should continue to do justice, we should continue to love kindness, and we should continue to walk humbly with God. That truth has not changed. The difference is that now we are partnering with the Messiah. We now partner with the one who has come to bind up the brokenhearted. He walks with us when we do that. We partner with the one who proclaims freedom for the captives. He walks with us when we do that. We partner with the one who releases people from darkness, who releases captives. He is with us now when we do that. And so Christmas should remind us that God is with us. That he is no longer the object of a prophecy that will come to pass 700 years from where we are now. Emmanuel has come. God is with us. It reminds us then that even in our broken world, full of idolatry and corruption and evil, God is still at work. And he is still at work bringing light to those in darkness. And so in our current world, With so much fear, uncertainty, and confusion, I think this is the great and guaranteed hope that we have as we enter into Christmas.